Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Currently, we're in the series of uh, the Gospel According to Mark. And um, uh, last week, Dave uh, shared about the conflict that Jesus had with the Pharisees about healing on the Sabbath, if you remember. And after this confrontation, they turned to the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. And they're very upset that Jesus is tearing down the fences. Remember the fences? Tearing down the fences that the, the, the Pharisees had put up to protect the Torah. And uh, the crowds, they weren't gathering around the Torah either. They were gathering around Jesus, which made the Pharisees also really, really angry. And so they, in turn, go to the supporters of Rome, and they, um, who affect um, worship idols, and they plot to get rid of Jesus. So now we find a shift happening in the way that Jesus talks to the crowds when, when they gather. Whenever there is conflict, we find that Jesus starts to talk in parables. And in verse chapter 12 of Mark 4, Jesus tells his disciples why he does this. He quotes Isaiah, and he implies, he implies in, what he, in his quote that the Pharisees in their rejection of Jesus are very much like idols. They have ears but don't hear, and eyes that don't see. And it's like an illustration of a spiritual reality. And they're mimicking the man-made idols that the people around were worshipping by their rejection of Jesus. And so by talking in parables, he illustrates that they too have eyes but they can't see and ears that they can't hear like an idol. So it's an illustration of idol worship. So today I want to speak about how we listen and how it reveals the condition of our hearts. And I want to talk about Mark chapter 4, which is the parable of the farmer scattering seed or the seed and the sower. In Mark 4, Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable... How are you going to understand any parables? See, Jesus is identifying something in us and that this parable is the key to unlocking all the other parables. In this parable is the illustration of the nature and the purpose and the word of God. And we value the voice of God spoken into our lives, don't we? When God speaks, we value that. Amen. But our value for the voice of God has to be represented in our value of Scripture. If we value the voice above Scripture, we open ourselves to being deceived, don't we? The voice of God will never contradict what the Word of God says. So that's, that's the test, that's the proof. We spend our time studying the Word of God, but God's voice, it actually causes the Word to come alive to us. It speaks to us. And in this parable, the word of God is the seed, and our hearts are the soil. Tender soil receives the word of God deeply, and the life of God then brings about the change that God intends. In Thessalonians, um, Paul uses this particular phrase. He says that the word of God carries within it the power or the energy of God. And the Greek word that he uses there for power or energy is the word dunamis. It's the Greek word dunamis. And it's where we get our word dynamite from. So powerful, explosive, creative, dynamic energy is carried within the very word of God. When God speaks, things happen. 
He says, let there be light. And there was light. He says, let there be creatures in the, in the waters. And the creatures are in the waters. When God speaks to us, it comes to us in seed form. To produce through the energy of God functioning in us the fruitfulness that he intends for us, for our lives. So the heart is the soil and the seed is the word of God. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives us the illustration or a parable to help us understand the process and the purpose for the word of God being deposited into our life. So before we delve into Mark, I just wanted to first look at two other passages, one in Hebrews chapter 5 and the other one in James chapter 1, um, just to lay some groundwork before I actually get into um, speaking of the parable from Mark 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, please turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Otherwise, um, it's going to be up on the screen behind me. And we're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. It says this, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things of God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant who doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So the word of God from this passage tells me that it comes in several forms. So the first one that talks about the milk of the word. And the milk is the, the, the word that encourages us. It comforts us. It tickles our ears. It makes us happy. That sort of word. But there's also another form that it comes in, and that's the meat of the word of God. It's the word of righteousness. It's the word that provokes us and brings about change in our lives. It's the transformational power and the transformational word of God. It provokes us to recognize what God is saying needs to happen, and it brings into us into a place where we surrender to God's purpose in our life. This is so true in my life where God provokes me through the meat of the word to take a look at what I'm doing. A classic example is when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul goes through and lists what love looks like. And when I read that, I'm constantly hearing the voice of God through this word actually asking me and telling me, how am I doing in relation to that list? Am I actually demonstrating to my wife Melanie that I love her? Am I following what it says what love actually is? God's word provokes me in 1 Corinthians to constantly ask the question, why? Why am I irritated sometimes? Why and sometimes am I angry and in my anger am I rude? Why do I bring up ancient history to back up my point and prove that I'm right? You see, it's like it's meat. I need to digest it. It's not, it's not easy to swallow. You have to chew over it. You have to digest it. But the meat of the word is there to help me by provoking me, by poking me and provoking me to change. It's the transformational word of God that contained within it has the power to help me recognize where I'm falling short and what I need to do to bring me back into the place where once again I'm actually doing the will of God in my life. In this case, it's loving my wife Melanie the way that she should be loved by what the word of God says. It's not milk. It's not comforting. It's not encouraging. It's meat. 
it's something that I have to digest. It's something that's really hard to digest. But God keeps feeding me these words, this meat, because I need to be consistently and constantly transformed into becoming a better husband. And that's through the power of the word sown into my life. So there's the milk of the word, which comforts and encourages us. And then there's the meat of the word, that which confronts and provokes us to change. But there's a third form of the word of God, which is relevant to what I want to talk to you guys about today. And that's the promise of the word of God. It's funny, we've sung that song just before I got up, Promise Still Stands. Do you know that there are over 7,700 promises of God in Scripture? God, with his word, deposits his promise in us for what is possible for us should we agree and receive what God says over our life. It gives us the promise of a hope-filled future. It gives us a destiny and a hope of what life can be like if we agree with what God says over our lives. I mean, who doesn't want that in their life? I mean, amen, bring it on God. Promises, God's promises in our life bring us and give us a hope-filled future. So there's the milk, there's the meat, and then there's the promises of God. So now let's turn to James chapter 1. Verse 21. I just want to read this verse here and then we'll get into the parable on Mark 4. So James 1.21 says this. So get rid of all the filth and evil that's in your life, in your lives, and humbly accept the word of God, the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. I'll read that again. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. That word power is exactly the same Greek word that is in Hebrews 5, dunamis. It's about the condition of our heart. In humility, we accept the word of God planted in the soil of our heart, which has the energy or the power to save our souls. You see, the life is in the word. It's not in the soil. The soil creates the condition or the atmosphere, but the energy of God is actually in what he says. The energy of God takes root in a person to illustrate or reveal who God is. So in humility, we receive the word planted in our hearts, and it has the power to save our souls. But hang on, you might say, but I'm already saved. I gave my life to Jesus 10 years ago at a church camp. I'm saved. I mean, that's, that's awesome. You were saved. You're also in the process of being saved. This is what Matt was sharing earlier. And someday you are going to be saved. Those three realities are all throughout Scripture. We were saved when we received Christ, but Paul encourages us to continually work out our salvation daily through fear and trembling. That's where we are right now, and that's where we are. But then there's the future reality of us being saved when either Jesus returns or we die and go to meet with the Lord. Then we will be saved. Salvation will be complete for us. Amen? So here in James 1, it's actually talking about that present tense. It's talking about the transformation that happens whenever we agree to what God is saying. 
in humility as he implants his, implants his word into our hearts. And it's all about our willingness to listen. We hear what God is saying, we agree with what he's saying, and we receive the life and the power that comes from that transformation. And it's contained within the word of God. We can't bring it about ourselves. It's in the what God says. So now let's go to Mark chapter 4. And we're talking about the parable of the seed and the sower. So if you've got your Bibles, um, follow with me. Otherwise, it is also going to be up on the screen. This is what it says. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. just want to stop there. Jesus said, listen. That's the subject of what we're talking about this morning. Our willingness to listen. Anyway, let's go on. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field... Some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as it had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with his 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around them, they asked him what their parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Back in verse 11, Jesus says, You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. See, I believe that in this parable, Jesus gives us a key to see into unseen realities. It's the key that unlocks all the other parables. Let's read from verse 13. Jesus then said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Implication is that it's the key to all the rest. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as it's been planted. 
just want to briefly speak into this. The seed that fell onto the path. I mean, the, the picture should be fairly obvious. It's fallen on ground that's trampled, it's compacted, it's hard. It's been walked on so much that the seed, when it lands on the path, it just sits on the surface and it's really easy for the birds of the air to come and pick up the seed and take it away. When there is hardness of heart, you may hear all the right words, but if there isn't a breaking of the soil of our hearts, if we're not humble to receive what God is saying, then the seed doesn't get a chance to be planted. And then the enemy can just waltz in and take it. Hardness of heart. The second thing there, the rocky soil. It should also be fairly easy to understand. Rocks are places in our hearts. They're regrets, bitterness, resentment. It's all the issues in our hearts that never get dealt with in our life. And over time, if we leave them there to fester, they become as hard as a rock. And they stay in the soil of our heart. They actually end up rejecting and resisting the word of God spoken in our life. The word of God actually may encourage us when we first hear it. But because there isn't any depth to receive the word that is spoken, because of all rocks, all the issues in our life, the words can't take root in our life. And so it doesn't produce any fruit. But the one I want to speak to specifically today on is the third one, the one that the seed that fell among the thorns. In verse 18 and 19, it said, The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is being produced. So listen carefully. You and I, with our thoughts, our appetites, have the capacity to put a stranglehold on the promise that God has given us. See, weeds and thorns, they grow up and they choke the word of God. The promise over our life can actually be choked by the lure of wealth, the desire for other things, and the worries of this life. So let's break this down for a moment. Where it says the worries of this life, two words are used here. The first word is divided, and the second word is mind. The worries of this life is the divided mind. And a lot of people, not you guys, it's those other people I'm talking about, a lot of people experience anxiety, confusion, and stress because their mind is divided. They have too many options. It's Jesus and. Or it might not even be Jesus. It might be this, that doesn't work. Okay, maybe this, that doesn't work. Okay, maybe this, uh, that doesn't work. Okay, what, what does Jesus say? Maybe this. There's too many options. And their mind is divided. Doing some research into this this week, and I read about this guy called George Quam. And he was a handball player in America. Does anyone know the sport of handball? Anyone seen the sport of handball? It's one of those sports which is really, I, I, I mean, give me a racket any day of the week. 
but the ball in handball is like as hard as a golf ball. And the, the guys have actually got these leather sort of things that they put on their hands and they've got to hit the ball up against the wall and it's, and it's, quite, it's quite a competitive sport. Anyway, this guy, George Quam, he was a, a, a very, very good athlete and um, unfortunately he was in a, a, a tragic accident which he survived from but he lost one of his arms. And when he got out of hospital um, with, without an arm, he only had one arm, he was trying to look for a sport that he might want to get involved in. And he f fell across and f came up and fell into the sport of handball. Now, he found when he was playing handball that he was actually quite good at it. So much so that he became the club champion. And the club entered him into the state championships, which he actually won. And a newspaper um, reporter was um, wanting to interview him at the end of the, of, the, of the championship game and ask him the question, how is it you with one arm can beat all of your opponents with two arms? And George replied, that's easy. Options. The reporter replied, well, what do you mean options? Well, when the ball comes off the wall, he said, my opponent has to decide which hand to use. You see, George only had one option. The decision already had been made. Too many Christians have too many options and we invite confusion. When you invite confusion into your life, you create the atmosphere for worry, for anxiety, for all of those things. It doesn't mean that we'll never face them, but we will always have the upper hand when we only have one option. Every moment that we spend in worry and in anxiety feeds the beast that strangles the promises that God has spoken over our life. It strangles our destiny. Now, we know that Satan, he can't read our thoughts, right? He can't read our thoughts. But he can tell which thoughts that he suggests to us have hit the mark by our reaction, by our response. When we agree with what the enemy is saying, we actually enter into an agreement. And the enemy is always empowered by our agreement. Agreeing with the enemy empowers him to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says he has come to bring us life and life in abundance. So don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked in to agreeing with what the enemy says. Now, my, my, my testimony of my life, why I'm here today, I wanted to share this. I wasn't sure about how much I should share, but it's actually really relevant to this point that what I wanted to talk on today. About 12 years ago, I um, went through a pretty significant medical situation where I ended up in hospital and I'd still take medication about it for this day and it was something that that knocked me for six and then around about the same time I was associate pastor of a church and the senior pastor was going through some pretty significant stuff with family and that burning out and um, one day he decides to stand up and publicly humiliate me by saying he no longer supports me or my ministry and it floored me and 
of a week of trying desperately to work out how to salvage this situation, the only course that I could see was to hand in my letter of resignation and resign. But it floored me. It took my confidence. It knocked me for six. It took my legs out from under me. It took my confidence out from me that how that could happen. And then for six months, I sat on the couch in my friend's place, didn't know what to do with my life. And then an opportunity came up where I was asked by a church to come and be associate pastor at their church. And I thought, thank God, this is awesome. And then I turned up and that senior pastor of that church was also going through burnout. And the problem was that he had resigned a couple of times previously and the board hadn't rejected his resignation. So he was struggling in a church that was struggling. And I found out pretty quickly that one of the reasons why I was there was because the board wanted to put a rocket up this guy to say, if you don't pull your socks up and lift your game, this is the guy that we're going to go put in your place, which wasn't a good situation at all. But that caused... Bullying and intimidation to happen as well as humiliation. To the point where I also had to give in my letter of resignation. So I was burnt out, confidence completely shot, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Um, And that manifested with me, with all the anxiety and the worry and the depression, all the stuff that I was going through, that manifested in extreme negativity. And I mean, Mel, Mel's a good person to talk to about that. I wasn't very, I wasn't very good person to be around, was I? When I was negative, I, I would just blah 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 blah, and I would just speak, and I would agree with what the enemy was saying over my life, and I would just speak negativity, and I was cynical, and all this stuff manifested, and it came out. Anyway, through a process of healing and restoration that God has put me through, which I'm still going through today, um, I came across a guy called Steve Backland. Now, Steve is a guy from um, Bethel Church in, in Reading in California. And he is one of these guys that is like, if you, if you have a picture of what joy looks like and what hope looks like, it's Steve. He, he is just, he is so like super, super happy and joyful. And for me, being someone who is so negative and so down and, and, and full on, dealing with a lot of stuff, I saw something in that and I thought, that's what I want to be. I want to be like him. I want to be someone who's positive for a change. So I started reading his books. I started listening to his podcasts. I started following what he was saying. He would do a daily hope injection where he would just talk a bit about something what God would say to, to, to encourage and support. So it was the milk of the word that he was doing, encouraging and supporting. But then he suggested in one of these posts that to do a negativity fast. And for me, an I've I've fasted from food, I've fasted from television, but it was just one of those interesting concepts where I went, hmm, fasting from negativity. Okay, that sounds a bit interesting. How does that work? Okay, so every time a negative thought comes into my mind, I stop, I disagree with it, and I try and think of the positive in that situation, try and think of the positive thing that God, what, what would God say to me in that situation? So, another thing that I would do is um, he had this thing called um, 
biblical declarations. And I went to Red Dot and I bought one of these, which is a tally counter. And so what I did was every day I would read the promises of God from his scripture over my life and I would speak it out loud and I would declare it. Now, I've got a hundred, but I'm not going to share all a hundred with you today. But I'll just give you a bit of an example of what I would do. So I would, I would go into my room and I would, I would sit down and I would, and I would pray. And then I would start. I would say, one, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 I am chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world that I may be holy and blameless before the Father. Ephesians 1.4 I am predestined to adoption as a son by the Father through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians 1.5 I have redemption through Jesus Christ's blood and the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1.7. I have obtained an inheritance in Christ, Ephesians 1.11. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of my inheritance, Ephesians 1.13 and 14. God raised me up in the heavenly places to sit with him in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.6. And I would do this every day. And as I would speak the promises of God over my life, something amazing happened. He actually prepared the soil of my heart. He actually, like it was like he was weeding. Every day he would just pull out the thorns and the weeds that had grown and gathered. He would find a rock and say, okay, let's deal with this rock, this issue in your life. Bitterness. Let's deal with that. And I would deal with it over a process of time. And eventually he'd take the rock and he'd throw it as far as the east is from the west. He would just get rid of it. And then he would continue to weed and weed. But not only would he weed, those promises were sowing seeds into the soil. They were sowing seeds into the soil to make me become the person that I am today. Because the promises of God's life, of the, the promises of God that has entered in as seed form into my life, transform and change me. And it brings the power and the life to order to create that fruitfulness that God intends. So that's what God wants for our life. To stop agreeing with what the enemy is saying in our life. To stop agreeing with that and to actually start agreeing with what he says about me. The promises that he has for my life. So don't get sucked in. The promises and the power of the promises of God breaks through the weeds of anxiety and worries of this life by speaking out the promises of God aloud and agreeing with God, what God's word and what it says and not agreeing with what the enemy is suggesting to us. So reject what the enemy is suggesting and agree with what God says about us. Humble ourselves and chew on the meat of the word and let it provoke us to change. Let's listen to what God wants to say to us and let his word impart itself deeply into our hearts. Let it transform us into what God has promised into our life. Amen? So that's what I wanted to share with you this morning. When our hearts, our, our hearts the soil is ready and our hearts are soft, and tender, we're able to receive what God speaks into our life. And those seeds, you'll see it in your life. As those seeds are planted, they will sprout up and grow, and they will produce fruitfulness, fruitfulness in our life. And that, and that fruitfulness won't just be one plant. 
It says in his word that it's sometimes it's 30, sometimes it's 60, sometimes it's 100 times what he planted. Because God's word never comes back void. What he speaks, his power in it has the very nature, the power in it, the dynamic power of God to actually achieve what he has spoken into our life. Amen? So let's stand. I want to pray for you and for me. I want to pray that we start to go through this process of finding the promises of God in his word over our life. And not just reading it, but speaking it out and agreeing with what it says. Because that is what God wants us to do, to produce fruitfulness in our life. Amen. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. We thank you, Father God, that you're a God who cares for us so deeply. We thank you for, in your word, in scripture, there are thousands of promises for us. Thousands of promises of a hope-filled future, of a future that is destined for fruitfulness. We thank you, God, that you have sent your Son to, sh- to show us and teach us the way in which we can be humbled in our, in our hearts to be able to receive the word, to have ears to hear and to have eyes to see, to be able to listen to what you were saying and to let it be implanted into our hearts. So we pray for that process to continue, that we will not be hearted of heart, but that we will be soft-hearted, that we will receive the seed, the word of God that is planted in our lives, and that by that we will see fruitfulness and we'll see 30, 60, 100 times what has been planted in our lives happen all around us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Beautiful. Amen.